Hey creeps, this is Mandy, a member of the Ghoul Squad, and you're listening to A Paranormal Chicks. So grab a drink, sit back, and remember, everything is scarier when it's true. <laughs> And we are a Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 80. And y'all just heard Mandy be a total creepster. I mean, whoa, I, okay, not that. Not that at all. Well, Carrie's just a creep. Well. She's just a weirdo. Do you know the rest yeah, of that I was song? Thinking, okay. I was thinking. <laughs> so Mandy's not a creep nor a weirdo and did a freaking amazing job. Absolutely loved it. Thank you for sending in. You know what? We just had to call people out and they just, if you build it, they will come. Can I complete a sentence? You just had a stream of consciousness going. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know the drill, though. If you want to introduce an episode, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Y'all, it is day 22 of 31 Nights of Halloween, and I think we need to just jump right in and get scared. We don't need to creep it real, and we need to get scared. Well, still creep it real, but do get scared. Okay, okay. I mean, that's why you're here. Okay, this one is titled, I Swear to God It Wasn't the Damn Cat. Hey, Donna and Carrie, it's been a spell since my last sinister sightings about the Ouija board that spelled out the name of my husband and told me when I would marry him three years before I even met the guy. I have many more crazy stories, but here's one I'm pulling out of the vault for you. Picture it. Me, a latchkey middle schooler, in the 80s, in my house after school. I was probably snacking on a bag of cheese-filled combos and drinking Pepsi. Okay, you had me at the combos, you lost me at the Pepsi. Definitely. I was about to say the same thing. Also, I think it was everyone who snacked right when they got home, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, I feel like we basically ate. No wonder I like to eat early, early, early. Yeah, y'all did. You had had (laughs) dinner at 3 (laughs) o'clock. My mom worked part-time at my parents' shoe store on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, so I was always home alone for about two hours on those afternoons. Doing homework at the kitchen table and in a zone working out story problems for math, I suddenly heard the distinct click-cluck sound of my mom walking out of her bedroom with her kitten-heeled pumps across the hardwood floor of the hallway outside her bedroom. Just past that wood floor was the mauve carpeted dining room, which ran alongside the kitchen. That's when the heeled clicking footsteps would always switch to a muffled stepping sound. It was only a couple of steps before she would have to either come into the kitchen or walk by the kitchen doorway and onto the living room. I remember the clicking footsteps were so loud it distracted me from my story problems. And I called out, oh, hey mom, I didn't know you were home. And I looked towards the doorway, expecting to see her standing there at this point, since it's right along the path that I heard her walking towards. She wasn't there, and she didn't walk past the kitchen doorway yet. She didn't go into the living room either. Where'd she go? Her footsteps seemed to just stop, and I couldn't see her anywhere. And she didn't even acknowledge me saying, hey, which was weird. Of course, then my 12-year-old attitude got the best of me, and I yelled at her, hey, Hello? Did you hear me? I said I didn't know you were home. Still no answer. This is the point of the story where Carrie would probably say, This bitch, 
annoyed as hell because it didn't take too much to piss off 12, 13-year-old me. You know, or 35-year-old Carrie. But I digress. I said that part, not her. I got up from the table, walked out of the kitchen, and looked toward her bedroom hallway, then into her bedroom and dining room. She wasn't anywhere, so I proceeded to walk around the entire house looking to see where she went. Nothing. I figured she must have walked on the hardwood floor and gone downstairs to the basement. The basement door was locked off the bedroom hallway. Even though those steps were carpeted and could have softened the sound of heels, you would still be able to hear someone walking down them. And I never heard anyone walking down them. I called for her while going down the stairs and looked in every room in the cellar. I assumed she went to do laundry, which was in a back room of this huge basement and stretched the length of the sprawling ranch home with sliding glass doors. It wasn't a super creepy cellar since it was pretty bright in the afternoon. I looked in all the nooks and crannies and no one was there. I wasn't scared because I was only getting more pissed off and determined to find her. That's an angry teen for you. I know I heard her walking just outside the kitchen, so where the hell could she have gone? The last place to check would be the attached garage. If her car was there, then she had to be somewhere in this goddamn house, ignoring the shit out of me. I flipped open the door of the garage, completely empty, except for the echo of my voice saying, Mom? It was the eeriest feeling and the moment when I started freaking out. Where was my mom and who was walking in my house with heels on when I was certain I was home alone? I ran to the kitchen phone and dialed the number of my parents' shoe store where she'd be working that afternoon, asking the cashier if my mom was there. I didn't know what was going on and was scared I wasn't alone, or maybe that I was alone, after all, but with a ghost. They put her on the line and I recounted the story and my mom really didn't know what to say. She told me it was probably the cat walking around making that noise. As if, and if I felt scared, I should go to our next door neighbor's house if I really thought there was an intruder. I didn't think it was an intruder, and I knew that unless the cat was wearing high-heeled, tiny-ass Barbie shoes and walking across the floor like that dog in the scene from the movie Bowfinger, then it wasn't the damn cat. If you haven't seen it, I'm including the clip here. The sound of my mom walking in the hills in the hallway was a familiar sound that I always associated with her heading out to work. Who or what was walking in the house? Was it an imprint of my mom's energy? Was it my imagination? Was it a poltergeist caused by my pissy 12-year-old angst? Was it the cat dressed in high-heeled shoes? Or could it have been something more sinister impersonating the familiar sound of my mom? To this day, my family makes fun of me and says it was either the cat or my mom playing tricks on me. But listen. I'm 44 now, and I know what I heard, and I know it was very real, and you can believe that from that day forward, as long as I was still in school or home alone for a couple of hours, I would blast the TV or radio to cover up any possible noises I did not want to know about. Well, that's it until next time. Love ya, and send in socially distant hugs. Deb from Debbie Draws Funny. Oh, it was definitely the cat in those Barbie high heel shoes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so scary when you really think you hear someone familiar, especially your mom or someone, and you're just like, hey, and then like, wait, where is she? Mm -hmm. Well, again, because like you said, it's a very familiar sound. Like it's something you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I had to reiterate what familiar sound sounded like (laughs) or meant. (sighs) Jesus, words are hard. Moving on. (laughs) Or you know what it was? 
you were doing fucking word math problems. <laughs> right. Your brain was fried. Yes. That is what it was. And even worse, yours was a story problem. That Ugh. sounds very long. It really does. Hello. I hope this email finds you well. I live in a house built in 1940. The original owner, Edna, passed away in 2008. She was a very nice lady, and I believe that she went to heaven, but just pops in every so often to check in on things. She has some strong feelings about housekeeping. If the house is untidy, which happens often enough with two small children, she hides things I need. One example, I have a big chest, 36H, and at the time had only one bra that really fit great. Well, girl, I have um, the second letter of the alphabet. <laughs> B? Yeah, I have a B. I know, but I don't know why you didn't could I, say B. It was B. just funny. Like, was could, it, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, like, hers is all the way to fucking H, and mine's the second letter of the thing. I don't know. Um... <laughs> but I still only have one bra that really fits right. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And if I don't quit eating, my back boobs are going to keep eating my bra. <laughs> <laughs> I had just taken it from the laundry and laid it out on the bed to put on after my shower. When I got out of the shower, it was gone. Nowhere to be found. Super frustrating. I cleaned up the toys, vacuumed, and left for some errands. When I got home, it was laying perfectly in the middle of the living room floor, the floor I had vacuumed just before I left. Things like this would continue to happen, until one morning I yelled at her, reminding her that it is hard to raise kids, I was tired, and if she didn't like my housekeeping skills, she should help me out, not make it more difficult. Good point. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish I could say that after that, I would wake up in the morning and any housework I had left over from the day before would be done, like in the elves and the shoemaker, but sadly, no. However, nothing has been missing since. I love listening to your show and thank you for entertaining me during my nightly walks, Nicole. I swear, people, when they have older kids or like their kids are grown or what have you, they forget what it's like to have toddlers and little kids and how much energy they have and that kind of thing you know because they just expect them to be like sit there and be still and not talk and do it and it's like they're a toddler they've got energy to burn yeah they're gonna run they're gonna jump they're gonna smack into things and i don't know all the annoying things that they do but they're gonna do it yeah they're a child so the house is gonna be messy yeah and by that i mean lived in Right. That's a thing. There's a meme that's like where you have like this happy face, like, and it says when that annoying child that's been running around the restaurant finally hits the edge of the table. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so terrible, but true. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was like, I feel very seen in this because it is like quiet. Okay. (laughs) Except for then they're like screaming, crying Mm -hmm. because it hurt. But really, we don't wish any child would be hurt no 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 i'm really glad you stood up for yourself though against old edna hey y'all okay so i've told most of my shit to my auntie who seemed to be the only one who believes me but okay 
I want to say this was the early 90s, so I had to be like five or so. Okay, so I grew up in this scary-ass house in Michigan. I won't share too much because the house isn't in the family since the late 90s. So this is one of the many shitty things that happened to me in my youth. Because I have some fucked up shit that has happened to me in the last 10 years as far as being an open fucking book for evil shit until a friend of an ex cleaned them bitches out and helped me close myself up. That sounds like Donna may nasty that shit up, but she just like me. (laughs) Okay, but to the damn main topic here. Okay, so the house was a creepy ass place, at least for me. Plus, we always had fucking bats. Ugh. Okay, so old house in Michigan. Imagine walking through the front door, and that was the living room. To the right was the parlor room. Come to find out that parlor rooms were for fucking funeral viewings in old homes like mine. But okay, to the left of the parlor room was a doorway where you can see the creepy-ass staircase with an ugly, old, thick banister at the bottom. What the my girl is going on here? Go through the door, and that's the den. Okay, the fucking staircase had, I want to say, 20 steep-ass stairs and a landing. On the left was a bedroom. Go right, take a step, you're in the hallway bathroom. On the left, two bedrooms at the end. Okay, so back to the bottom of the stairs. I was a little kid chilling in the living room. Don't know why, but I was heading to the kitchen, past the fucking stairs, through the den, to the kitchen for imagery. So I walked towards the den and boom, I'm fucking stuck, frozen. I hear some shit and I don't want to look because I thought, great, this little boy who wears weird clothes wants to play in the closet again. That's a different sinister sighting for another time. But no, I have never seen this shit before and I don't know why I did that time. But I swear I am going to give the details because I thought that shit was real. This old ass white sickly looking woman was in a wheelchair on the landing of the damn staircase up top. Old ass wheelchair, big old ass wheels, handles were up high on the back. She had a quiltish crocheted blanket covering her lap to her feet. There were yellow, green, and red colors. What the fuck? But the bitch behind her with the hands on the wheelchair. She had some sort of hat thing on her head, maybe a nurse thingy, but I couldn't tell you shit else about her standing there staring at me with the darkness. I just remember hearing the woman say please to me, and then the bitch pushed the old lady down the fucking stairs at me, through me. I pissed myself and ran like a bitch. I told my auntie she said I was okay and to try to push that out of my mind, and if they bother me again, she will get rid of them. Are you fucking kidding me? The house I grew up in was full of shitty spirits, but the wheelchair ladies and that boy really stuck with me. Oh yeah, and the old mine worker who my mama told the fuck off for every night at the same time, stomping like a Clydesdale. I know that isn't spell right, but my bad. Up the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, that's great. (laughs) I, I don't know if it's spelled right either, but I totally got it. After she told him he doesn't live there and he is disturbing her fucking movie, it was never heard again. What the fuck? 
So I hope you'll enjoy. I have many effed up things I've seen and experienced, and even a few of my daughter's sightings when she was little and didn't understand. Creep it real and don't get scared, ladies. Love the podcast. I haven't listened to another podcast since I found y'all. Alicia. Oh my God. Well, thank you. And uh, you said you ran like a bitch. Uh, no. A wheelchair went through you. Yes. What are you supposed to do? Stay there? No. And I definitely would have peed my pants. I mean, I would have shit myself, but we all have loose something. <laughs> um, I'm going to need you to send in all those other stories. All the stories. Because you've been through some shit. You in danger, girl. Well, not anymore, because, you know, the thing you were going to make nasty. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. All right. This next one is Sorority Row Ghost. Finally, I'm sitting down to send you my paranormal story. I have plenty to send, but I'll start with this one. If I don't put anyone to sleep, I'll send more. <laughs> uh, you won't uh, send those stories in, girl. Hell or yeah. Or boy, I don't know who you are, but <laughs> send your stories in. <laughs> True. In the early 90s, I lived in a sorority house at LSU. Go Tigers. It was rumored to be haunted by a woman believed to be a sorority member killed in a car accident 30 years before. I lived in the quote-unquote ghost room where she had been seen at least twice. Oh, my God. She had been seen by multiple people on multiple occasions. The people I knew who had seen her were not the type to joke. They were pretty uptight. One night, my roommate woke up and I was sitting on my bed talking to someone. When she asked who I was talking to, I jumped out of bed and went running to open our door down the hall. I was saying, wait, wait. There was no one in the hall or awake. It was dead quiet. When I was about halfway down the hall, I turned around and started walking back to my room. Right then, the door at the end of the hall to the stairs opened and slammed shut. I told my roommate, great, she's gone. You scared her off. My roommate asked who I was talking to and who she scared off. I said, I was talking to the ghost, but you scared her off. Oh my God. The next day, I didn't remember any of it. My roommate explained that the door to our room was open and I was sitting on the bed talking to someone, but no one was there. And we always closed our door before we went to sleep. She explained that no one was in the hall. It was very dark and quiet. There was no one running, no footsteps, and no one to open the door at the opposite end of the hall. But I was chasing someone. And when I gave up and turned around to walk back to our room, the door at the end of the hall opened to the stairs and then slammed shut. This was a heavy door to a back stairwell that was rarely used. I had never done anything like this before and never did again. Sure wish I could remember the conversation. Oh, and this was the same roommate mistaken for the ghost at the Myrtles one night, but I'll save that for another time. Thanks. Love y'all, Jennifer. Oh my God. What did y'all talk about? I need all the details I need you to remember. Yes. I mean, I'm sure you need you to remember more than I do, but I need you to. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you pulled a voice out of Donna I've never heard of. You're really good at talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> I sounded like on Dispendle. <laughs> Did someone say steak? <laughs> oh my god. Also, yes, I need to know how your friend was mistaken for a ghost. Yes. <laughs> She's very porcelain skin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. This one is called Ouija Story from Across the Pond. Hey guys, my name is Emma and I'm from Cumbria in England. I wanted to share one of my Ouija board stories. I have tried about seven times with Ouija boards and we have always made our own boards. Pieces of paper with letters and numbers written on them placed in a circle with yes, no, and goodbye in the center and an upside down glass as the planchette. A few years ago, we decided to try it on Christmas Eve with my family at my pop's grandfather's house. We really wanted to speak to my Nana who passed away about eight years before this. We had six of us touching the board and some of the people watching. Of course, the boys decided to creep up the stairs and make zombie noises and scratch the walls and try to scare us. Idiots. At first, the board only wanted to speak to my cousin's friend. It even called her a nickname her dad's friend who passed away used to call her. After an hour of this conversation, with us not hearing anything from our Nana... Everyone started moving back downstairs, but myself and two of my cousins and my ma'am, Northern for Mother, wanted to try one last time to speak to my Nana. My ma'am watched as the three of us placed our fingers on the glass and concentrated on my Nana. We asked if there was anyone there, and it moved to yes. It said it was our Nana, and then the glass spelled out, my lovely three. And we all got so emotional, we started crying and saying, we love you, Nana, we miss you. Then it changed. The board started moving, and through our tears, we spelled out D-O-Y-O-U-F-U-C-K. So, do you fuck? Check yes or no, uh, yes. Uh, I don't fucks with demons. <laughs> I fuck with something that starts with a D. With that, my ma'am stopped the Ouija board by saying goodbye, and we all said our goodbyes through shock of what happened and chills up our spines. Why would our Nana, who never swore around us, be so mean? And we realized it wasn't her. Something evil had come through, and my ma'am has had bad experiences with Ouija boards in the past, so she didn't want to let it say another word. We got rid of the paper and tried to forget about the whole thing. My pop told us a few days later, my Nana's cup that always hung on a hook in the kitchen somehow fell off the hook and a photo of my pop and his new partner fell over face down and we couldn't help but think if this had something to do with the board. Luckily, nothing happened after that and it didn't put me off Ouija boards, but I haven't done it again since. No one will do it with me. Probably for the best. I'm trying to get my ma'am to give me stories from when she did Ouija boards, so I will send them in if I can get her to write them down for me. Keep up the amazing work. I love your accents, and I listen to you guys every day. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm all caught up. Thanks for taking the time to read this, and I hope you and your families are safe. Love from Emma. Um, How you said I'm all caught up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all I could think about was Elvis. Oh, gosh. Emma, thank you. Oh, my God. Um. First of all, I freaking love the name Emma. Mm -hmm. Emma and Ella. I love those names. But that Ouija board wanted to know if you DTF. Right? <laughs> right? Was that, like, I mean, obviously that wasn't your Nana. But, like, did your Nana come through and then something else came through? And then your Nana was like, no, no, but I did come through. You know? Mm. And was like, see, give me back my cup. <laughs> Or was it the demon that was like, your Nana's not ever coming back, bam, and did the cup. And then it was like, I'm coming for you, Pops. Bam. No, because it was a picture of Pops with the new partner. partner. Yeah. 
So why would the demon be coming for Pops if nothing else has happened? True. Or has it? Well, not that what Emma the, says. What if the demon's actually possessing Emma and she doesn't know it? That's not a thing. I mean, it's a thing, <laughs> it's but a, it's not That's happening. not a thing. <laughs> Gah. Emma, we know you're not possessed. No. Carrie is, but you're not. Hey, ladies, I've gone back and forth on whether or not to send this story because I wasn't positive that it counted toward true crime. On the sinister sighting that was released today, May 21st, a woman told her story about an online predator from MySpace that she had given her contact information to. While my story, thankfully, isn't so intense, I had something happen to me in the same realm. This will likely be lengthy because of the backstory necessary to explain what took place last spring. Since I work with children and I've taken steps to not let the story out to their parents, please do not include my name in your telling. At the beginning of my junior year in college, there was an incoming freshman who had taken a few years off between high school and college. As someone who took a gap year as well, I know how weird it is to transition back to school and befriended him. We'll call him Kyle. A good name for a graphic design and computer science major, right? Kyle was in the class I was a TA for, and he was involved in choir with me. He was struggling with writing. I was a writing tutor seven of my eight semesters and wanted to learn how to play the piano, so I offered to help out in both areas. I'm not very good at piano, but I agreed to give him my old practice books and teach him the basics in one of the practice rooms. The practice rooms are in the student center, which on our small campus of mostly commuters is basically empty by three on Fridays. Even so, we kept the door closed to soundproof the room in case someone wanted to study in the lounge nearby. Kyle sat down next to me on the bench and was all fine until his hand continued to accidentally brush my thigh. Once, maybe even twice, is an accident. We were sitting pretty close, mind you, but the third time, fourth time, and onward, I can't buy that it wasn't intentional. I told him that I forgot I had to work, but he could keep the lesson books. Come on, Kyle. Don't be that guy. Right? I left that day feeling uncomfortable, but not exactly worried. That evening, I went out for a few drinks with my brother-in-law, and Kyle began to text me. At first, the texts were just, thanks again for teaching me the basics and letting me keep the books. Or a picture of one of the pages and asking for an explanation to something. Those were fine. But as the night went on, he began to text me these long paragraphs detailing his life story and giving me way TMI about how girls had hurt him, about his messed up family dynamic, and how he wanted to hurt himself sometimes. My only response was to let him know that our wellness center had therapists who were free for students to use. That's a really good response to that. Yeah. Because I was sitting here thinking, how would I respond to that? That's a really good response. Yeah. I even told him that I had gone to one of them after a rough breakup and it was really helpful. He ignored my response and continued to rapid text me and demand why I wasn't responding. I eventually replied telling him to stop or I would block his number. The following Monday, I talked to the professor I was a TA for and explained that I didn't feel comfortable around Kyle. The professor, who I had known for two and a half years at this point, asked me why. I told him about the practice room and the text messages, and the professor was angry at Kyle. 
He promised that I wouldn't have to work one-on-one with him, but there still might be times I need to work with him in a group setting. I told the professor I was okay with the group setting, but would refuse to work one-on-one at any point this semester. The professor asked me to keep him updated, and if Kyle didn't stop badgering me, then he would kick him out of the class and would connect me to the higher-ups to ensure my safety. I felt so heard, so seen. It was great. Until a month or so later when the same professor told me that Kyle came to speak to him about me. Kyle claims that I misinterpreted everything and blew things out of proportion. He was just being friendly and I took it as flirting. He only wanted to be friends and asked the professor to talk to me about it. It took so much self-control to not explode in the professor's face. I told him as kindly as I could that it didn't matter what Kyle said or meant or did because I know what had happened and it made me feel uncomfortable and unsafe around him. The professor made it clear that he took Kyle's side in this situation and I was crushed. I decided the best course of action was to block Kyle's number and ignore his existence. I didn't want to be accused of blowing things out of proportion again, so inaction through ignoring him seemed to be the best solution. And it worked. Kyle eventually stopped trying to talk to me, stopped asking me questions, even stopped coming to class, which caused him to fail. I kind of feel guilty for this, but not really. The only time I said anything to him for the rest of the semester was when he was complaining at choir about how much his jewel cost him, and I pointed out that just not smoking is free and is better for his lungs, and that got me a dirty look. Flash forward to spring semester. It's February, and I see Kyle on campus for the first time that semester. Like I said, it's a small campus of mostly commuters. My college graduating class was smaller than my high school graduating class. And it's strange that it took a full month to see him around. He came bounding over and apologized for everything that had taken place last semester. He realized that he made me uncomfortable and that wasn't cool. I agreed with him that it wasn't cool and I said I forgive him so long as he doesn't cross those boundaries with me or anyone else to my knowledge again. Well, he immediately crossed boundaries as he told me all about getting arrested over break. Though I said multiple times I didn't want details, he kept providing me with them. Kyle kept telling me how he was innocent, and I straight up told him I didn't believe that he had nothing to do with the situation he was arrested for. He didn't like that and stormed off. Maybe I should have been kinder in giving him the benefit of the doubt, but the story didn't line up and I wanted him to leave me alone. I didn't see him on campus again. He quit choir after fall semester, and I had assumed we just had class schedules that never had us crossing on campus. It didn't bother me any, and I was thankful to not see him anymore. In April 2019, I saw that I had a message request on Instagram from an account I didn't know. I clicked on it, and the person was telling me they came across my nudes online and wanted to let me know because it looked like someone else had posted them. There was a link included, which I knew not to open because, hello, Internet Safety 101, I wasn't worried. I had never taken a nude photo in my life. It was spam intended for me to click on in panic and put some virus on my phone. I deleted the message and moved on. A week later, on Easter Monday, I opened up Instagram and saw that I had dozens of message requests. 
All of them were about nude photos of me online. I opened up Facebook, dozens of more message requests. I checked my work email. Someone had sent me a screenshot of, quote unquote, my nude photo and threatened to send it to all of my coworkers and my professors. This person then named my school and major if I didn't send him more. I freaked out. The nude photo had my face, but not my body. But whoever created it took the time to find a woman with a similar skin tone as me. They blended the head into the neck to make it look real. They included a picture of my LinkedIn, included my contact information and my social media, my place of work, my school, even the city I lived in. The title of the post was calling me a slut and was posted by a user with the username that included my university's name followed by sluts. I panicked. I called my sister and woke up my parents. I called the police, my boss, and my favorite professor. I had a very angry exchange on Reddit to get the post taken down and blacklist my name so this couldn't happen to me again. Based on the messages I received, this picture and my information had been posted and removed multiple times. Different username each time. Some messages were being kind, telling me that someone posted this without my consent and apologizing for shitty people. Some messages were threatening. I screenshot everything. I saved everything to my computer and printed it off to have a hard copy, just in case. No one doubted that I was telling the truth. My boss sent me flowers and reminded me that I am strong enough to handle this with my head held high. My favorite professor talked to the department head to figure out the next steps for me and what to do if schools find out about this. Teachers had been fired for less. I was terrified that my future career was destroyed before it even began. The police took my statement but never did anything with it. The campus police can't do anything until the city does because it didn't happen on campus, but they're still scanning Reddit for the usernames I gave them. Everyone kept asking me who I thought did it. Remember that I said Kyle was a graphic designer and computer science major? Remember how I said whoever created this picture took the time to blend the skin together to make it look like my head belonged on that body? And with all of that contact information, my social media, my place of work, it wasn't a random attack like my boss suggested. There is too much evidence suggesting that I was targeted by someone who wanted to hurt me. When I passed Kyle's name onto campus security, it didn't surprise them. Apparently, there had been issues with him harassing girls before, but they couldn't do anything because he was no longer a student at my university. I told the head of my work-study department what happened because our schedule was posted publicly on the university website. She immediately took it off the website since I worked evenings alone. She told my immediate supervisor, who was the professor I TA'd for, he felt horrible. He asked me if I thought it was someone I knew, and I told him yes. He asked me if the person was in the class I TA'd for. I said yes, but I was ending the conversation there. I'm sure that he felt horrible that he took Kyle's side in the fall when I first said I was uncomfortable. My supervisor began staying until my shift was over so I wouldn't be alone in the library the evenings I worked. My parents put in a security system and my siblings were good at staying home with me whenever I needed someone else to be around. I'm the last kid living at home and our parents work strange hours. Over a year has passed and to be honest, I still don't feel safe being alone. 
I have no idea where Kyle might be now or if he'd actually want to hurt me. I don't know who downloaded the photo or if more fakes were created. There was a link to an IMGUR folder that was deleted by the time I clicked on it, but supposedly there was an entire album of my nudes. And I didn't know who might want to come see me in person after seeing that photo. He put my contact information. He put my place of work, my social media, my major, my university, and my LinkedIn account. It's too easy to find people. Too easy to figure out where I live or where I'm working now. My last name no longer exists online. Just my first and middle. My friends list are combed through to very specific people because the photo of my face was taken from a private album only available to friends on Facebook. Some good things came out of this situation too, though. I was able to have a very open conversation about the hashtag MeToo with a male loved one that viewed it as a negative movement that sought to villainize men. It opened up the eyes of baby boomer loved ones that even good kids or the ones who make all the right decisions and are straight-laced are just as susceptible to sexual harassment and abuse as those who make different life choices. It opened up conversations between me and my sister where we could be honest with each other about sexual harassment we've faced and how things have changed us. It made me bolder to advocate for those who are victimized. Regardless of if the pictures are real or what they were wearing or where they were at, because my victimization was so public that I had to take a stand. It made me more careful too. I bought pepper spray to carry shortly after this took place because I couldn't live in my bubble of everyone has the best intentions anymore. I started to listen to my gut instincts to tell me when I'm in danger. That gut instinct got me and my mom out of a bar where, looking back, two men were working in tandem to spike my drink. The Kyle situation made me angry at apathy, which made me call that bar dozens of times, demanding that the tapes be pulled and go into their HR department to out the employees who heard what I said and ignored my concerns. When I finally got a call back several weeks later, it was inconclusive because there wasn't a camera that could see my drink, and I was promised a free round next time I was in to apologize for all the trouble. Oh, what a wonderful gift. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good came out of this situation, but I wish it had never taken place. I hate expressing that I inherently distrust men until they give me ample reason to trust them, but I've had too many circumstances that taught me trust can be a very dangerous thing. Again, good came out of the situation, but a year later, I still think about it daily as I set the alarm when I'm home alone and keep my pepper spray next to my bed, just in case. I think about what could have happened if I didn't know to immediately bring others into the situation. If I didn't know to call my favorite professor or my boss, or if I was too afraid to tell my parents in fear that they wouldn't believe me that I was innocent. I think about how much worse things could have ended and how the lessons I learn change the outcome for future situations. The Kyle situation effectively changed the way I live, and while my caution makes me safer, it also makes me afraid because it feels like I'm just waiting for the next attack. If his goal was to scare me, he did a damn good job of it. Thank you for reading my story. I'm sorry that it was so long. I hope things were clear. There were so many moving parts to what happened. Creep it real and only be scared of assholes like Kyle. Fuck Kyle. 
Right? Oh, my gosh. And fuck that professor that you TA'd for, man. Yes. Because you're right. It doesn't fucking matter what his intention was or anything like that. It does not fucking matter. It made you uncomfortable, and he crossed the line. Yeah. It doesn't matter that, oh, I didn't mean to. It doesn't fucking matter. He did it. That's like saying, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. No fucking if about it, you did. Yeah. Also, you're so right that... So many people are scared to tell their parents about, like, I don't want to get in trouble or whatever, and they don't, and then it ends up worse on them just because they don't have anyone to talk to about it or, you know, like, they don't have that support system. Or the behaviors escalate and you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do because you don't have any, like you said, guidance, support, but also nothing's happening to deter it. Yeah, I know I can relate everything back in life to TikTok, but there's been some good TikToks. It's like, like it asks women what their world would be like if, if it were like if men didn't exist. And it was like stuff like I could run with both earbuds in, you know, that kind of thing. And it, there was this guy being like, holy shit. Y'all think about this all the time. Like you are constantly in protection mode, you know, and it's so true. It really is. And I, and, and that goes for men, too. There are, are, oh, yeah. are men who are victimized, and I don't want to minimize that. You know, there are definitely men who are victims as well. Well, it's just the society we live in, the world we live in, we're all on high alert. Mm-hmm. Well, we're glad you're safe, and we're glad that you had support from everyone that you got support from. All right, this one is Three Stories for Sinister Sightings. Hello from Texas. I stumbled across your podcast a few months ago, and I love it. And y'all. Now with that out of the way, I'll try to make these as short as possible because I tend to ramble. Story 1. To start off, my mom passed away in a car accident in 1998 when I was 3 years old. At the time of her death, my mom, my grandma, and myself were all living together. We lived a literal stone throw away from a cemetery. We could see it from most rooms in the house. So after my mom's death, it was myself and my grandma living in the house. I was three and staying in my own room. Each night, my grandma would tuck me in and periodically check on me throughout the night. A few weeks after my mom's passing, she noticed black footprints going up the wall. Oddly enough, she held my feet up to the footprints and they were essentially mine. My grandma was freaked out and painted over them immediately. The footprints showed up two more times before disappearing for good the final time she painted over them. She can't explain it, and it still freaks her out to this day. Holy shit. Story 2. My grandma eventually ended up remarrying and moving across town. She sold her house next to the cemetery to my uncle and aunt as they were newlyweds at the time and about to start their own family. They started renovations a few years after moving in. By that time, I had a cousin, and we would spend a lot of time together in the house. My uncle was an amateur construction worker and was doing some stuff in my cousin's room. He ended up putting a door on the closet that was too big for the frame. So essentially, the door was stuck in the frame and wouldn't open. It stayed that way for months. One night, I was staying the night, and I suddenly awoke in the middle of the night to her closet door wide open. I don't know how it happened, but her parents said they didn't do it. Story 3. My aunt would tell me a lot of instances where she felt uncomfortable in the house. 
She told me that she would talk aloud to whomever or whatever, and most of the time, the feeling would dissipate. I wish I could have gotten the opportunity to ask for more stories, but she tragically passed in 2014. Well, these are my stories. Hope you enjoyed them. Stay safe out there. Holy crap. That There's some stuff going on in that room. Yes. All right. Last one. Hey, ladies. First off, I want to thank you both for the amazing Facebook group and amazing people your podcast has brought me to. Through this lockdown and everything, it has been some light in this crazy time and a newborn. Oh, Lord. Y'all are absolutely amazing. Truly, you have no clue how much y'all have been a part of keeping me together. Quarantine and a newborn? Oh, my God. Oh. This is the after story of the paranormal creepiness of giving birth during COVID. I've had many experiences in my life, but the latest one has shook me to the core. As a new mom, I have been on high alert with things that may be around my new son. I gave birth, and then we went to our room. That same night, I woke up, and standing next to my son was a freaking gray dog. I thought that I was just seeing things because of the epidural and the pain pills I was on. I threw white light into the whole room and felt like cockroaches were scattered around the whole room. I I have chill bumps. Oh, God. Oh, I can't say that again. Oh, I got to go up, so I can't. Oh, that word, it like highlights for me. Well, also, I believe when we say them, I get a fucking, I got those big trees too, and they huge. And every time like something is mentioned, one's there. I'm going to show you how big those motherfuckers are. No, I know how big they get. Okay. Then I realized how close we were to the ER where COVID testing was going on. The white light, though, made the gray dog go away. The next morning, I told my husband what I saw, and I shit you not, he said he saw the same thing. So I wasn't high on drugs. There was a freaking dog in the room. We were discharged that day and didn't have to worry about sleeping there again. Sigh. Now, when we got home, the bassinet is next to my side of the bed. And as I'm falling asleep, I hear my husband say, my son, right next to me. I open my eyes expecting a cute visual of my hubby looking at our son. And there was nothing. My husband was asleep. I woke him up and said, do you feel anything? And sure enough, he did. So night three of baby being home, we were using sage and made that crap leave us alone. It went away finally. Since then, we have been sleeping well, nothing coming at us. It was absolutely terrifying trying to protect my son and being a brand new mom, being in pain still, And I was so scared we wouldn't have enough energy to make it go away. But dad energy was amazing and it finally left. I can tell you that since then, we haven't felt anything and I'm so happy. That's my paranormal birth story. When I have more time, I'll send you the story about a poltergeist in one of our crazy haunted apartments. Love you, ladies. Creep it real and don't get scared, Brianna. How freaking terrifying. I cannot even imagine. And thank goodness, though, that your husband felt and saw the same thing, though. So he wasn't just like, you're sleep deprived. Go back to bed. What does the dog mean, I wonder? I don't know. Like, was it a wolf or was it like a dog? And like, what kind of dog? Well, it was gray. But like a wiry, like like I'm picturing like a... I pictured a greyhound. Mm-mm, I pictured like a wiry, like tall, 
but like like kind of German Shepherd, but like more wiry and mm. road hard, you know? <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, kids are hard enough without whatever the fuck that was trying right? to encroach on your shit. You're already tired. You don't need to be burning all your damn energy trying to sage a damn house. Y'all, these stories, whew. On the ones I was reading, I was having a hard time breathing. I was like, let me get through these stories. Like, I, not, They're so intense. Yeah, and I just wanted to make it to the end. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <gasps> like, it's like a book you can't put down. Yes. Thank y'all so much. Yes, y'all. I mean, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but the stories never disappoint. Like, it's, no. it's always so good. And thank y'all for trusting us with these personal stories. Oh, absolutely. We will keep anything anonymous that you want us to keep anonymous. It can be your name. It could be where you live. It could, I mean, anything in your story that's an identifier that you don't want people to know, we will keep private if you just tell us. Yes. Thank y'all so much for sending them in. If you have a story to share and you're not sure where to send it, send it to aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.